Amen. The decade of destiny. And I was listening to uh, all the messages up to this point. And as I was listening to the sermons, I was thinking, you know, there's a common theme that's running along every message. And, and that what I saw and what I heard is that God is a blesser. God wants to bless. God it wants to move. God has a destiny. God has a plan. God has a special call for each and every one of us in this place. But along with that call and along with that destiny, there's something that's going to come along on our end, and that's work. Someone just said, Manny just said a four-letter word. Work. It's not a bad word. It's a good word. And I really believe uh, that as we prepare to enter into our destiny, it's going to take some work on our end. It's going to take us uh, uh, being able to seek a God and, and, and get down in there and just saying, you know what, I want what you have for my life, God. I, I want what you have. I want the destiny you have for me, and I'm willing to pay the price. Amen? There is a story of a young man. His name is Eli Oseguera, also known as Eli the Barber. And in 2017, Eli the Barber was working at a barber shop in the uh, Burbank, Glendale area. And this young man walks in, panicked. And he walks in and he goes to Eli the barber and he says, I'm having a hair emergency. Okay? Anybody here have a hair emergency? I would love to have a hair emergency because it would mean that I would have hair. And this man walks in and he's panicked. And he says, I have a hair emergency. Can you fix this? Can you fix my hair? Eli the barber says, sit down. We're going to take a look at that. We'll get you going. The young man in the chair says, I'm going to be on TV tonight, and so it's important that you fix me up. You know, it's my first time on TV, and I really want you to do a good job. And Eli says, don't worry, I got you. And he fades him up, and he lines him up, and he trims him up. And the guy is looking at his hair, and he's thinking, like, man, what a tremendous job. This is an excellent job. He says, I'm going to tell all my coworkers about you, and don't be surprised if you get more business. Eli the barber says, hey, just my pleasure. He's just, you know, another customer, took his time with him. Little did he know who this individual was. That individual in the chair, his name was Paco Rodriguez. And in 2017, Paco Rodriguez was a relief pitcher for the uh, then World Series-headed Los Angeles Dodgers. Paco Rodriguez walked into the clubhouse, and all his teammates were impressed with that haircut that he received. Couldn't believe what a great job and what an excellent attention to detail the barber put on him. He says, who's that guy? Who, who, who hooked you up? He said, Eli the barber. Well, they went back to that barber shop, and they told Eli the barber, pack your stuff. You're coming to the clubhouse. You are now going to be the unofficial, official barber to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's a true story. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 29, it says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings, he will not stand before unknown men. Can we pray tonight? Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the destiny that you've called us to. We thank you for the labor, Lord, and the work that you have called us to as well, Father God. And that, Lord, we would uh, be ready to put our hands to the plow, Father God, Lord, that we would be ready to turn up that soil, Father God, Lord. We ask and pray that tonight, Lord, you would challenge us, you would speak to us, you would help us, my God. You would develop in us, my God, Lord, the heart to labor for your kingdom, Father God. And we just thank you tonight for all that you're doing, Father God. Be blessed tonight. In Jesus' name, we all say 
Amen. You know, last week, Pastor Ruben was talking about legacy, and he used that video of um, Kobe Bryant, right? And uh, when, you know, his passing, uh, there was a lot of people remembering him and memorializing him and just talking about their time with him. And one of the things that kept coming up was this man's incredible work ethic. And it wasn't a secret. People knew that this individual had just insane work ethic. You know, he would be the first one in and the last one out. And there was a story with Dwayne Wade was, um, he played for the Miami Heat, and he was saying that, you know, his job was to guard Kobe. And so what he wanted to do was he wanted to get into his head. And so every time Kobe went up for a shot, Dwayne Wade would tap him on the wrist. And he said he could tell it was getting, it was getting to him. It was annoying him. He could tell it was throwing him off his game. And so the rest of the, that night, he would just, every time he'd go for a shot, he'd tap him on that wrist. Game ended, and I don't know who won, but it's around 12 o'clock at night, and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James are set to leave. They're going to go out, and, and the trainer comes in, and he says, you guys need to see something before you decide to leave. Takes them to the court, and there's Kobe Bryant, and he's shooting shots. And he has a trainer in front of him. And he says to the trainer, every time I take a shot, I want you to hit me on the wrist the way Dwayne Wade was doing that. And he'd take a shot, and he'd hit him on the wrist. And he'd take a shot, and he'd hit him on the wrist. And that made an impact on me because here was a man that all night long, he had a goal, and his goal was to shoot baskets, but there was opposition in front of him. There was opposition annoying him. There was opposition in his face. There was opposition not allowing him to successfully score two points. And instead of crying and instead of complaining and instead of just being all angry and upset, what did he do that very same night? He grabbed the trainer and he says, we're going to practice this because I know the next time I face this individual, the same opposition, the same uh, uh, obstacles are going to be in my face and I want to be ready. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, they went back. They changed back into their gym clothes and they went and started working out themselves. A work ethic is contagious. A work ethic, a godly work ethic, will inspire others to want to do the same. Will inspire others to want to go out and do the same. And, and you know, there's going to be times where we desire something from God, where we desire a, a calling or a destiny or just to do anything for God, but there's going to be opposition in your way, and there's going to be someone in your way saying, you can't do it, you're not going to do it, you're never going to do it, and it's a matter of us saying, no, devil, you're a liar. Well, God has told me, the promises he's given me, they're yea and amen. Amen? A strong work ethic will give us a chance to share our faith with others, and a strong work ethic, it honors Jesus. It honors God. You know, it makes you stand out from the rest. And people will say, what's different about you? I see that you're a hard worker, and you're always content and smiling. There's something different about you, and that's your open door to say, I work as unto God. I work and I labor as unto my Lord and Savior. I'm thankful for what he's done, and this is how I try to honor him. We all want to be successful. Man, who wants to be successful? And whatever it is, whether you want to be a successful parent or you want to be a successful uh, at your job or at your school or whatever the case is, I, I think when we start things, we don't start it with the intention of failure. 
but we want to be successful, and we want to succeed at the things that we do. And so tonight, I want to give you guys some keys to succeed, some keys to succeed. And our first key is to start with enthusiasm, to start with enthusiasm. Another word for enthusiasm is passion. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. You ever met someone that's enthusiastic? Wow, that was a hard one. Or passionate about what they do? You ever met someone that's just full of passion, right? Their enthusiasm, their passion, it defines them. It's like who they are, right? I'll give you an example. I knew this lady, and she was a big-time Chicago Bears fan, okay? And I remember she, we were talking, and she was talking to me about the Super Bowl they had won back in 1985, but you were listen to her, you would think that they just won that Super Bowl last month because she knew the plays, she knew who ran it, she knew the total yardage, she knew this down and that down. I mean, the way she was recounting that game, I was 10 years old when that happened, but the way she was recounting it as if it was just yesterday, this woman was passionate about the Chicago Bears, okay? You and I have something to be passionate about. You and I have something to be enthusiastic about. We should be passionate, enthusiastic about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, that we've been forgiven of our sins, that we've been restored, put in our right minds, that we've been given responsibility, that we've been given blessings. That's something to be passionate about. That's something to be excited about, what God has done in our lives. And when you get excited for God, when you get enthusiastic for God, that begins to define who you are. That young man loves God. He must be a Christian. That young woman loves Christ, man. She must be one of them Christians. That individual, check out blessed they are. You know what? I hear that they go to church. Why? Because there's an excitement and an enthusiasm for who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. And that enthusiasm and that passion translates into the work that we do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It doesn't matter if you have the hardest or dirtiest uh, uh, job or task, your enthusiasm for Christ will get you through it. Uh, your passion for Christ will get you through it. Uh, I remember years ago, I worked at this uh, tool rental yard, and I worked there um, not because I wanted to, but because I had to. And uh, I worked with some individuals that were backsliders, some godless individuals, real foul mouth, real perverted, just hard individuals to be around and to work with. And I'll be honest, I hated that job. I could not stand that job. Every day I would wake up and say, this is the day I quit this job. And it's not because the work was hard, but the environment was testing. The environment was hard. I remember one time they said, man, they go clean the restroom. So I went and cleaned the restroom. But what I didn't know is that they had gone in there and just tore the restroom up. They put dirty pictures on the wall and they spread garbage and trash everywhere. And they were just laughing and mocking. And I walked in and I just said, praise God. Sang some worship songs and mopped away. What I didn't realize then and realize now is that God was using that job to break me, to refine me, to prepare me, and ultimately to free me, to free me from pride. Amen. Book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 24, says, The diligent find freedom in their work, and the lazy are oppressed by their work. That um, diligent 
what it is is uh, having or showing a care and conscientiousness in one's work or duties. A lot of people, they deceive themselves in thinking that by taking life easy, that means that it makes life easy. You see, a lot of men in general were born with this disposition to be lazy, right? We're born with this disposition to say, ah, tomorrow, by default, just we'll do it tomorrow. And what we don't realize is that laziness is dangerous. It can be dangerous both physically and spiritually. People can get hurt when we become lazy. Laziness can cause pain, suffering, and trouble. You look in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who wrote these Proverbs, and though anybody can gather from these Proverbs, he wrote it especially for young men. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And what he was trying to do is trying to develop an attitude, you know, of a hard work ethic. And because he understood that it needed to be learned, it needed to be adopted, it needed to be developed in our lives. And I say, fathers, we need to raise our sons and daughters to be diligent workers. We need to raise our sons and daughters to not be afraid to get their hands dirty. Man, you've heard me say it before, I tell my daughter, never marry a man whose hands are softer than yours. It's true. My oldest daughter, uh, she's married and hardworking guy, hardworking guy. That's the example that needs to be set, especially for the, in this day and age for young men to not be afraid to get their hands dirty, to not be afraid to work, to not be afraid to say, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and we're not going to go until the job is done. We need to understand who it is that we work for. When I was first starting out in my trade, I had a, uh, a boss, and he would say, Manny, who do you work for? And I'd say, I work for you. And he'd say, wrong. And I, he'd say, Manny, who do you work for? And I said, well, I, I work for the company. He'd say, wrong. And I'd be like, is he about to fire me? Who do you work for? And I'd say, well, we work for the client. And he'd say, no. He says, let me tell you who you work for. You don't get up in the morning every morning to work for me. You get up in the morning to go work for your wife and for your kids and for those who are depending on you to be responsible enough to get up, to go to work, and to do a good job. We are just the means to an end. We just provide the job that employs you. But you don't work for us. You work for those people that are depending on you. This man was not a Christian. But those words to this day still ring in my ears. Why? Because he made me understand that I'm not just working eight and skate. You know, going to put in some hours and then be gone. But I'm working for individuals that are, that are depending on me. And more importantly now, I'm working as unto God. I represent Jesus Christ. I represent God at my job. You represent God at your job. You represent God at your school. You represent God wherever it is you find yourself at. Book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Amen. Serving Christ is a reward in and of itself. Man. And everything that we do for Christ 
it's not in vain. When we're serving God with a pure heart, it's never in vain. It's, it's, there's always a reward. There's always a blessing attached to that. Years ago, when we were, um, it's called the beat. Remember that, the beat? If you were in focus, you, you knew what I was talking about. Building excellent achievement in teens, something to that extent. And there was this uh, individual that was working, and they said, hey, why do you work with at-risk at youth? And he said, I work with these teens because if I work with, for, with them, if I show them love and if I show them Christ and if I take the time to invest into the lives of these teenagers who don't know God, who don't, haven't been to church, he says, then I know God is going to take care of my kids. He says, if I work and if I labor and if I love these teenagers, God's going to take care of my kids. God's going to put godly people in front of my kids. God's going to show himself true to my kids. This is an individual who understood the concept of reaping and sowing, that if he would sow into the lives of individuals, if he would put the work into the lives of teenagers that weren't saved, that didn't want to be saved, so they thought, that he understood that he was going to reap it in the lives of his children. This man was unafraid to to do the work and to do the labor. We need to realize that when we grasp the idea that we're laboring unto God, it changes us. It changes our thinking, our actions, our habits, and ultimately our character. And that's what we need to do is concentrate on my character. These are keys to succeed. And all that we do, God is more interested in who we become more than what we accomplish. I know that whenever I find myself working in an unpleasant environment, um, I hear my dad's voice. And he says, he used to tell me, he says, that's okay, son, it builds character. Right? If I had to mow the lawn and I didn't want to mow the lawn, he'd say, it's okay, son, it builds character. If I had to pick up after the dog, which nobody likes to do, he would say, it's okay, it builds character. And for every job that he would give me that was hard or dirty or just plain no fun, he would say, you're building character. You're building character. You know what's a blessing is I get to tell my kids that now whenever they're complaining about. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Someone said that character is doing the right thing when no one is looking. A Greek word for character is dokime, which means it's the process or result of trial proving approval. And basically what it was trying to convey was there was this process they would put coins through. And, it, and this process would identify a coin as being the real deal or being a counterfeit. And so sometimes we wonder, like, God, why am I going through this at my job? Why do I got to deal with these people at my job? Or, God, why is it that, uh, you know, I struggle so much when I do these things? It's because you're going through a process. You're going through a testing because God doesn't make counterfeits. He makes the real deal. And in order for you to be the real deal, you're going to have to go through some pressure, some trial, and some d disadvantages. 
because he's refining and he's doing something that's genuine. Amen. Maybe that was for me tonight. Character is what's on the inside. And what's on the inside will always manifest itself on the outside, good or bad. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I like what one commentator wrote. He says, God is interested in our character because how we act will determine by whether we are allowing the values of the world or the Bible to set the standards in our lives. What are those standards? You know, are they the world standards? Is it the world standard of mediocrity? Is it the world standard of eh, just good enough? Or is it God's standard? And God's standard is the standard of excellence. So the, the value of the promise depends upon the character of the promiser. And so when we make commitments or we say we're going to do something, do we honor that commitment at our job, at our home, you know, at our school? When we say, I'll get that done by this time, are we honoring that commitment or is it just empty words? Eh, we'll get it tomorrow. We need to care. We need to care about others. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, 14, it says, do everything in love. It's such a simple instruction, but when it's carried out, it's very profound, right? To do everything in love. When you know that someone is doing something for you in love, it makes an impact. Amen. When you know that someone is putting their heart and soul into something for you, it touches you. It makes an impact. And the Bible says that we're to do everything in love. Everything we do should reflect the light and the love of Christ. You know, the way we talk to people, the way we treat people, our coworkers. And if you're in any kind of place of, of, um, of leadership, it's how you deal with those that are under you. How do you give direction or correction? And how do you ask someone or tell someone, um, you know, how to what to do at their job. Is it an order? Is it a bark? Is it a snap? Jesus was always concerned with the treatment of his people. And he was always concerned of, of that treatment because these were his people. These were the people that he loved. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, 28 through 34, Jesus is talking to the religious, and they're asking him questions. And they ask him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, he replied, and he said, The Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And the second is you must love others as much as yourself. No other commandments are greater than these. And it made such an impact on that religious uh, scribe. In verse 32, he says, Sir, you've spoken a true word, saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is far more important to love him with all my heart and understanding and strength and to love others as myself. 
than to offer all kinds of sacrifices to the altar of the temple. And realizing that this man's understanding, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What was Jesus telling him? He says, you're getting it. You're getting it. You're a leader. You have authority. You have influence over people. And how you treat people is going to be the difference between whether they receive what you have to say, whether they accept your message, or whether they turn around and want nothing to do with it. Jesus was putting it at his feet and says, you're getting it. You're getting it. You're understanding. You're understanding it. One commentator said, for Jesus to love your neighbor as you love yourself was to practice justice towards your fellow human beings. read a quote here and it says how people treat other people is a direct reflection of how they feel about themselves and you can tell right away when someone has got issues because of the way they speak to you right I worked with this gentleman he wasn't a gentleman he was a mean guy and I could tell he had issues because he would always bark an order never listened to any input. It was just mean-spirited. He would curse people out. He would belittle people. He would just, it was, he was rude. This is how he was leading, and nobody wanted anything to do with him, man. And you know, as people of God Church, we've been forgiven. We love God. God has done a miracle in our lives, and we're able to love other people because of what God has done in our lives. We're able to show other people grace because of the grace that's been shown to us in our lives. We're able to understand and sympathize with what people are going through because we understand we've gone through similar things. What does God want us to do? He wants us to exceed expectations. Do more than the minimum. Amen? Do more than the minimum. God is an excellent God. Amen. When he blesses, he, let me tell you this. When God blesses you, do you want just the minimum? God, you're going to bless me, but just give me the bare minimum. Oh, we say, Lord, open up the windows of heaven, God. Pour out that blessing, God. Overwhelm me with your blessings, God. Move in my life, God, right? Because that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we know. He doesn't just give us the minimum, the scraps. He gives us his very best. He gives us, if you're married, he gives you the best spouse. He gave you the best children. You might not believe it, but he gave you the best kids. He's given you the best fellowship, the best teaching, the best leadership, the best pastor. He's given you and I the best. Nothing mediocre. Excellence includes doing common everyday things but in very uncommon ways, regardless whether people are watching. I like Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Underline that word, exceptional qualities. That the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Here was a young man that was excellent in everything that he did. He was a young man that was exceptional. But let's give you some background on this young man. This is a young man that as a teenager was taken from his home. Him and his 
Hebrew mates. They were taken from their home. They were put in a foreign land. They were given new names. They were given a new diet. They were given a new beliefs that they wanted them to follow. They were given them a new set of standards. They, were, they wanted to totally take away their identity, who they were in God, and give them something brand new. Conform them to their standard and conform them to their image. And what did Daniel and his three Hebrew mates do? They stood for God. They stood for righteousness. They stood for what was right. They understood the foundation that had been put into their lives, and they weren't going to divert from that. And as a result, God blessed them. He blessed their labor. He blessed their work. He blessed everything that they did. And Daniel could have had the attitude was like, you know what? Why am I going to give you the best? You stole me. Why am I going to give you the best? You've done so much wrong in my life. But Daniel understood that no matter how much he did not want to be there, God had him there for a reason. God had him there for a reason, and he understood that if he held to those standards, God's favor was going to be upon Daniel, and God's favor was going to be upon Babylon. Church, God has you where you're at for a reason. Some, and I understand this because I've been through it, but sometimes our job is our battlefield. Sometimes our job is our battlefield, and we go through it. We suffer the opposition. We suffer mockery and ridicule, and God has you there. And God's favor is on you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. There's people watching. There's people seeing if you're going to fold. There's people saying, if he can make it in this environment, I want what he has. I want what she has. Look at her. She takes it, doesn't even bat an eyelash. That's a strong individual right there. So I wind this down here. If we wanted to succeed, we need to expand our skills with continual learning. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. And I like what the Living Bible says. It says, a dull axe requires great strength. Be wise and sharpen the blade. If you ever tried to carve anything, nice piece of meat, you don't want a dull blade because you could cut yourself. If you ever try to use a, an axe to maybe chop some wood, not like we chop wood often in California, but if you did, you don't want a blade that's dull because a blade that's dull, it's going to make you work harder. It's more dangerous. You want a blade that is sharpened. You want a blade that has been sharpened upon that stone so that your slices can be nice and, 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 and smooth. And you know what? We need to constantly be sharpening our blades. We need to constantly be learning. We need to constantly be at a place where we don't know everything. And how do we learn? We learn by Observing, we learn by reading. You know, I like to read articles. I like to read books. I like to read stories uh, because I always feel like I might, there might be something I can learn or can gain from this story. Keep sharp. Researchers say that the number one way to stay mentally sharp is to keep learning. And unless you do know everything, we want to stay sharp, man. We want to stay on that cutting edge. Uh, as the worship team comes up, lastly, um, we want to dedicate 
my work for God's purpose. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Proverbs 16.3 in the message, it says, put God in charge of your work. Then what you've planned will take place. That word commit, it means to roll. Okay, so it's the picture, the idea of rolling your thoughts into God's presence, uh, rolling those ideas and, and saying, God, what do you think of this? God, I, I desire to maybe start a business, God. I desire to be an entrepreneur, God. And here are my thoughts and here are my plans. Uh, let me roll them onto you, God, and what do you think of this? Lord, show me where I can improve or show me how to go about this. It's that idea of, God, I want to dedicate this to you. How, to, how do I go about this? And asking God to begin to guide you and direct you and to shape you. We got to get tired of just spinning our wheels and trying to do things on our own. I was talking about that tool rental yard that I worked at. And I remember that uh, um, I, they came to me and they said, we want you to work weekends. And I said, I can't work weekends. I can't work Saturday and I cannot work Sunday. I go to church on Sunday Saturday, I have responsibilities there that uh, can't do it. I says, plus, when I got hired, we had this agreement. And they says, well, we're changing that agreement, and unless you can work the weekends, we're going to have to let you go. I said, all right, well, you have to let me go. You have to let me go. I don't want to be let go, but that's fine. And so a couple weeks later, a new guy started, and they said, Manny, this is uh, so-and-so. He's your replacement. We want you to train him. I said, really? All right. So I trained him for two weeks. That was my two-week notice, I guess. They, it was the other way around. I trained him for two weeks, and at the end of those two weeks, that Friday came. Thank you very much. And they gave me my last check. And I was like, man, Lord, what do I do now? But I remember I had been praying. I said, God, I, I want to do, I don't want just a job, Lord. I, I want something I want a career or an education, God. Just give me some kind of direction because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And the phone rings and this individual calls me and he says, hey, you, you showed some interest in this trade school. You want to come on down and check it out? And I said, okay, I'm not working, so I've got nothing else to do. So I went on a Monday morning and I toured the campus and I liked what I saw and he was showing me the different trades. And I says, you know what, I think I like electrical. And he says, well, let's apply. And I didn't have any money. I just lost my job. But I said, all right. So I started applying. Started school that next semester. And about a couple months into my uh, teaching there, they called me in. They says, your package came in. You need to go to the office and sign for it. I said, I didn't order anything. He said, no, your financial aid package came in. I said, I didn't apply for financial aid. They says, yeah, you did. When you were signing everything, you applied for financial aid. So I went into the office, and it says, here, your financial aid came in. I said, all right, how much did I get? They said, you got about 85% of your tuition covered in um, grants and scholarships. You don't have to pay that back. I was blown away because I didn't even know I applied for it. God was doing that for me. And on top of that, he says, you're just going to have to take a loan for the last 20%. It's 
It's a loan that you don't have to pay back until a year after you graduate. I said, man, God is good. God is so good, man. Because I rolled my cares onto him, because I rolled my concerns onto him, he took care of it. And I said, God, this trade, it's not mine, it's yours. It's yours. Whatever you want from this trade, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. And I tell you what, you know, God always tests me on that promise. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying that God is so good. And whatever it is that you might find yourself in, God has already, have, already has a plan. He already has a solution. He already has a way already made for you. You, you and I, we just have to trust God enough to say, all right, I'm going to walk on that path, God. And I'm not going to look back. And I'm going to trust you every step of the way.